Good. Keep your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, before we get started here, I should mention a couple of things. Uh, you may have seen the email this last week. I announced this in Sunday school, but forgot to now that the water was not safe to drink, but I am drinking it right now. So it, uh, it is now safe. All right. As of Thursday, I think they declared that. So just in case you were concerned about that, uh, you can be relieved they have declared it safe. Um, the other thing I meant to mention is that uh, we, we today are venturing into the next prayer passage that we'll be praying for each other on Mondays. Now, a couple notes. If you haven't been following along, it's not too late to join. Um, Mondays, we pray together over a passage of Scripture for the whole month. Now, you may have noted that this month it says, uh, let's see, let me open up what it says. It says we're supposed to be praying in the month of April, if I can find it. Where is that? For Matthew 6, 8 through 13. But that's a problem, all right, because we already did that in uh, January, we can't do it twice, all right? So the wrong passage got put in there. The passage that you should be praying through is Philippians 1, 3 through 11. So that's why we're covering that today. So if you have one of these at home, you might want to uh, fix that. Sorry for the problem. I don't know exactly where that lies, if it was me or Pastor Greg. We'll just say it's between us. We both messed up halfway, all right? But uh, So today we are covering that next passage, and the intention here is that as we cover this, now we, you and I can be praying this for each other all uh, month on Mondays. Tuesdays, we have our prayer partners, and those emails went out yesterday. Um, so if you didn't get that and you're signed up to be a prayer partner, uh, let me know, and I'll make sure to connect you with whoever you're supposed to be praying with and for over the next three months. All right, well, with that said, let's go ahead and uh, look, turn our attention back to Philippians. This passage is a, is a really rich passage, and I, what I want to do is actually start, before we jump straight into the passage itself, with some observations. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear Paul pray something intricate like that, I don't immediately hear Steve read and say, oh, I understand that completely. There's some complexity to that, isn't there? You're like, as just as you were so much, I love you. What's going on here, Paul? And so one of the things that helps, and this can you can do even if you're a young child, is just to take some time to observe what is there. I, I, I know that there are many amongst us who would consider yourselves planners, all right? And when you go on a trip, don't you just sit out and say, okay, here are the highlights. If we don't do anything, we're going to do this and this and this. This is the hotel we're staying with here. Now, others of you, you just kind of drive and when you stop wherever and you figure it out. But most of us, I think, are more planners in that way. We like to preview kind of what's going on, have an idea of what's going on. Or maybe as students, you're like I was. The first day, I would take all my assignments and write them out perfectly in my agenda for the semester because I wanted to know exactly what each week was going to hold. Or Maybe you just have a daily to-do list. What I'd like to do is to take a couple seconds before we jump straight into the passage and actually kind of just notice things that are there, that are actually in the text, so that when we go through this, we make sure. That was a big deal, the way he repeated that multiple times. Let's make sure we include that. So I want you to look down with me very quickly. This essentially is just some introductory observations to make sure that when we're done, we say, did we get the point he was after? All right, so a couple introductory observations, and again, even if you're a child, you could notice these. First of all, that this is a prayer or a passage about other people. It's about the Philippian Christians. And one of the ways you can tell that is by looking down at the words he uses. So I want you to look at verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of, what's the next word? You. All right? If you were to count up those yous, by my count, there are some 10 yous, all right, and these little tiny these just these few verses, which tells us this is a passage where he's describing something God is doing or something about these other Christians. So whatever conclusions we come to at the end of our time today, we need to remember that this is a highlight of the way that Paul talks. All right, secondly, it's filled with these kinds of loving connections. 
And you probably picked up on some of those as we read, but like in verse 5 and verse 7, he talks about partnership and partakers with, people who are sharing something. Verse 7 and 8, he says it like this, I feel this way, I hold you in my heart, I yearn for you. So all of these words about connection and care for each other are like verse 9 that says, I want your love to abound more and more. So just on an introductory read, just glancing through kind of what is there before we try to put it together in a meaningful way, we know that this section is about other Christians, and we know that connecting a lot of what he says is the concept or the idea of love for each other, care for each other, partnering with each other. So those two things we're going to keep in mind. Thirdly, I want us to note that he's very observant about God's work. God is a major actor in a lot of what he's saying. Like verse 6, he began a good work in you. He will bring it to completion. Some two times he talks about the day of Jesus Christ, which we'll talk about in just a moment, where all of this will happen, that day of completion. And then he speaks like in verse 7, that you are filled with fruit that comes through Jesus Christ. Or he talks about having affections for them through Jesus Christ. So he's observant of God's work through this whole time. And then finally, I want you to note that everything in this section is aiming for a target goal. There's a phrase he uses twice that's curious. Look at the end of verse 6, and then look with me at uh, verse, the end of verse 10. You see that phrase, the day of Christ, or the day of Jesus Christ? He uses that as a shorthand for like when God's done with all of his work in you. That's the target throughout this whole entire prayer. And if you were to have a target above that, it would be the end of verse 11. Note that. He says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, again, God's work in you, to the glory and praise of God. That's the end goal. The day of Jesus Christ, you would be shown to be complete so that God gets the glory. So in this brief survey, as we now take the, the passage apart and try to put it back together in a meaningful way so we can understand how should we, we should be praying for each other, I want us to remember these four things. That this is a passage about other Christians where Paul emphasizes the connection they have in love. Where he's observant of God's work in them and through them all for the end of the final day when we stand complete so that God gets the glory. So if we miss those four things in our explanation of this, we've missed the passage, right? Because those are such big ideas in here, the repeated concepts in here. Whenever you come to a text like this that is confusing, and the grammar here is confusing, I'm not going to break it out for you in like a sentence diagram, but I did that this week, and it's a doozy, all right? It's, it's difficult to follow his exact train of thought, but I'm going to try to put it back together but if we miss these big things, it's like we've missed the big things on our planning agenda. We've missed the major concepts that seem to be present in the text before we even look at it. Let's pray and ask for God's help as we go through this. I think this will be a really rich study and will carry us this month as we pray this for each other. Our God, we pray for your help. This is not merely an intellectual exercise to understand this. It's a spiritual one. The work that Paul describes in this text that you do in us is something you're doing right now. And so I do pray that you would help us to carefully lean into your words. Help us then to speak, uh, to, speak to each other, to, to speak to you about each other in a way that reflects this passage's truths. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know about you, but this passage to me feels like we've walked in in the middle of like an ongoing relationship, right? He just starts with, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And any normal, curious person says, well, who's he talking about, and how does he know these people? And guess what? God tells us. In fact, Acts 16 is devoted to that exact thing. I'm not going to have you turn there because we're going to be so brief in covering it that really all I'm trying to do is jog your memory. 
How does Paul know these Philippians again, we could ask? Because if this connection between them, if talking about them, God's work in them is so important to him in this passage, it would be helpful for us to remember how they know each other in the first place. And I'll very briefly cover this. Acts 16, you don't need to write all this down. You can grab this from me later if you'd like to or on our website. Acts 16, God directs Paul to Macedonia. You might remember there was that vision he received to go over to Philippi, and that's exactly what he does. When he arrives there, he goes to the spot of prayer and he meets Lydia, this wealthy woman who was a seller of purple, and she was amongst those praying at the riverside. And God gloriously saves her so much so that she then offers her home to them to meet in. For some time, they meet together regularly, and then God permits their imprisonment. You might remember that there's a little girl who's demon-possessed, and her owners are making money off of her predictions. She's crying out after them every day in the city, and finally Paul gets tired of this. He turns to her and gloriously delivers her. But those making money off her were not happy with this turn of events, and so they called on the authorities to imprison Paul, and that's exactly what happened. Where, where this should have been a time of discouragement and despondency. Here I am in the height of this ministry, and God puts me in prison. Instead, Paul and Silas are singing in prison. And that night, God delivers them by an angel, by an earthquake. And they exit, the, they exit this uh, prison. The jailer himself realizes he is about to be killed for letting these prisoners escape. And before he can take his own life, Paul stops him and tells him his deepest problem his sin, and how God has come to deliver him. And that day, that man and his whole house is saved. We then figure out that the authorities come after Paul, and he tells them, I am a Roman citizen. And the authorities say, oh no, what have we done? And they chase Paul out of the city. Get out of here. We don't want you here anymore. And right before he leaves, he has a parting uh, farewell with this little church at Philippi that he's grown together with in the, the, the chapter of Acts 16. So this is the background of what he's been through with these people. When he talks about his imprisonment, this is the imprisonment he's talking about. When he talks about them partaking in the sufferings, that's the the partaking that they've gone through. There were other people in those passages that suffered. The jailer himself. There were some who dragged out Simon, another man in that, uh, that church. All of this is what they've shared with him. So as we go into this passage now, this is this relational context that we need to keep in mind. What I'd like to do is to break down this text in three different sections. Paul's going to, in verses 3 through 6, talk primarily about God's past work in them. But he's going to talk to God about that. He's going to pray for God's past work. That's where we'll start. But if you want to kind of jot down the next section, Paul takes a little intermission. And I think that's one of the reasons this section, if you just read it straight, can be a little hard to follow. He takes an intermission in verses 7 through 8 to talk about what God is doing right now in him and in them. And then he ends in verses 9 through 11, talking about what he wants God to do in them in the future. So it's God's past work, 3 through 6, God's present work, 7 and 8, God's future work in them, 9 through 11. All right, so that's how we're going to break down the text, and I think that will help us understand what Paul is saying. Note with me first here, Paul, Paul's prayer for God's past work in them, verses 3 through 6. He says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always, and every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul recalls them in prayer, first of all, verses 3 and 4. He remembers them before God, the Word itself. Maybe you remember this if you grew up listening to the King James as I did. 
making mention. That's actually the word, talking to God about you. That's what he says he's doing. I thank my God every time I talk to God about you. This is what Paul is doing. And notice that there's a pattern to this prayer. He uses words like always and in every prayer of mine for you all. Paul says, every time I sit down and I talk to God about you all, I constantly am mentioning you before God. And this mentioning is marked by gratitude and by joy. He says, I thank God, or like the end of verse 4, I make my prayer with joy. As he reflects on what God has done in them, it brings up gratitude towards God and joy in them and in God's work in them. I think this is instructive already as, remember, we're going to pray this passage for each other to ask the simple question, do you talk to God about other people here? And I don't mean just like fix them, they have problems. (laughs) I mean talking to God about what you've seen God do in them. I'll, I'll tell you that as I study this, I thought, God, I don't really do that. I mean, I will thank God for something I just saw that day, but I don't sit around and just reflect on God's kindness that I've seen portrayed in somebody's life. But this was a pattern of the Apostle Paul, not just with the Philippians. This is something he does in almost every letter. He talks to them about how he talks to God about them. And yet it's almost completely absent as I look at my own prayer life. Already God has really struck my heart at the need for this. He's remembering them before God. Notice that he doesn't thank them He thanks God for them, which means as he sees good things in their life that have been shared with him, in chapter 4, they've actually shared money with him as one of the things he says they've done. He actually attributes that to God. He traces that goodness back up to its source and says, you and the good things I've seen and experienced from you, it's actually an extension of God's care for me. He talks to God about them. So who do you talk to God about? Who do you bring up before the king positively? When's the last time you just started talking to God about people in this body? Thanking God for the kinds of things that they've done, the kinds of ways that you've seen God work in their lives spiritually, the ways that they've helped you physically in some way? What does it sound like when you talk to God about others? If you're like me, so often the only time I talk to God about others really is to complain. (laughs) to say, this person is annoying me. This person is causing me problems. Fix this person. But Paul isn't doing that. Now, note, the end of the book, you might remember what he does in chapter 4, is he actually calls out women in the church who are fighting amongst each other. It's not like there was no problems in this church. But when Paul recalls them to mind, he's actually rehearsing their good things before God. It's like he has an entrance with the king, and he steps in and he says, Let me tell you all the good things I'm seeing you doing in the people in this church. Now, how would that change how you viewed each other if that was your pattern? I know that would drastically change my view towards each other. Rehearse God's people's good quality before God, how he has blessed you perhaps through them. It's like what we do when we hold a grudge except the opposite. When we hold a grudge, we rehearse all the bad things somebody did to us, and sometimes we even talk to God about those. Hold a grudge positively towards everyone here in this church. I mean that. Don't forget what they've done. You tell God, God, they brought me a meal. They did. They took time out of their day. They brought me a meal. They said a kind word to me. They wrote me a note. They followed up on a conversation with me. Over and over again, just telling God, how have, these, how have you worked in these people to bless me? And then attribute that to God. I thank 
God, Paul said, not just them. When he looks back, he doesn't just remember the wrongs. He doesn't just remember the troubles. He instead brings joys and applies them to their account. Now, even if, let's say, for instance, you have a grudge with somebody here. You're struggling with somebody here. Isn't it true that you can say, but I've seen God do this in them? Maybe you've struggled with somebody who said something mean to you or avoided you in some way or you have trouble with right now. How might God soften your heart towards them by you just rehearsing God's goodness in them to you right now? It's difficult to both pray thanks for people and and be angry with them. What if our church was really like this? What if we really talked to God about each other like this? Wouldn't it be easier to actually receive help from one another? Because you don't just see that as that person expressing help to you. You see that as God's hand through them to you. And notice that Paul does this, but he actually rehearses their gospel fellowship in specifics. Verse 5, he says it like this, because of your partnership. This is the reason he's doing this. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This fellowship, this partnership in the gospel it's what he references in chapter 2, verse 12, once again about his imprisonment, or chapter 4, verse 15, about the finances that they provided for him. But he's calling out specific things and noting he's not now just talking to God about them. He's telling the people, I talk to God about them. Now, that's an extra step, isn't it? It's one thing for me to say to, to God, perhaps, yesterday I'll give you as an example, Steve Ransom, uh, Pastor Greg, and Joe Baker all came over and helped me work on Kathy's house. It's one thing for me to tell God, God, thank you for those three men who came, and in spite of the fact that Joe cleared for 14 hours on Friday, he called me up Saturday morning and said, could I come help you? Thank you, God. It's a different thing for me, though, to go tell Joe, Joe, I was talking to God about you yesterday, and I'm just so grateful. Isn't that different? It's a different thing altogether. What would it be like if our church was full of these kinds of interconnected texts and calls throughout the week? I was just thanking God for this about you yesterday. Now, imagine how that would change and soften our relationships. If somebody has a pattern of doing that to you, and then one day they come to you and say, hey, I've seen this sin in your life, and I want to help you with it. You see how you're actually prepared for that. You're ready to receive that from their hand too because there's an existing understanding, existing relationship, an understanding of God's work in you already. Doesn't that change how you would ask for help from others? Because you know when they help you, you get an opportunity to talk to God about them and then tell them about that. Here's what I was telling God about you the other day. It's harder to gossip about one another when we spend our weeks talking to God about the positive things we're seeing Him doing in each other's lives. This is what Paul was doing. He wasn't just talking to God about others. He was telling them he was talking to God about them. You can see how that would dramatically change our interpersonal relationships. You just tell people, I was thanking God for this about you this week. This is exactly what this passage should do in our hearts this month. Finally here, Paul recounts their certain finalized form, verse 6. I am sure of this, even as he looks backwards. He who began a good work in you, he can't help but peek to the future. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now note, first of all, that God is the actor, both in the past and in the future. He began, God did this in you. He doesn't give them too much credit. He's saying God is at work. And in that, 
that's instructive to one another, isn't it? So often we praise people without God in that picture. You were awesome yesterday. But he's not doing that, is he? He's actually teaching them through his gratitude that they too should look to God. God was at work in you, and I benefited from it. Thank you, but I'm thanking God for you. It's different, isn't it? It's a different kind of gratitude. We could say it like this. It's a Christian gratitude. A Christian gratitude looks beyond the horizontal help, and it connects that horizontal with the vertical. What Paul is saying is, yes, you helped me, but I'm thanking God for you helping me. He's actually tying in God as the final actor. God is the actor of both past and future. He began and he will continue to do that. And yet God has a goal in mind, the final finished form. The reason I phrased it that way is that word completed. This might be one of the few Greek words that's kind of tossed around is the word telos, the end. What it means is the kind of finished form, the final product, what the goal of the thing is. He says, this is going to happen for you. God will finally get you to the finished form one day. What day? Well, it's that day, the day of Jesus Christ. And he says it like this, God will complete his work or keep on completing his work is the idea here until the day. Now, this says a couple things. Number one, they're not in their finished form yet. So there's a reason he can correct them, like in chapter four. There's a reason that sometimes we struggle with one another as we sin towards each other. Because these dear people, you, me, we're not in our final form. God is still at work in us, but the final form will come. He's certain of it. And as he talks to God, this is how he speaks. This finished final day. I noted that he kind of takes a bit of an intermission. And he does that because as he starts talking about their care for him, he can't help but reciprocate that. And as he does that, what he's going to do is demonstrate what he wants God to do in them as well. Look at verse 7 and 8 as he takes this brief intermission and talks about God's work in the present. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul, first of all, rationalizes his, his care for them. His justified evaluation is like this. He says, I think this way about you. This is actually the same word he uses in verses chapter 2 a couple times to talk about the mindset we should take on. If any of you have this mindset, he says, that's the same word here. He says, I have this mind about you. I think this way about you. Our translation tries to bring that apart across more emotionally because of the next phrase, that he feels some way about them. But this is what he's saying. This is how I reflect on you. That's essentially what he's saying. When I think about you, I don't primarily, I don't first, I don't only think about the negatives, the areas you need to grow in. And do you think Paul saw and knew Christians' needs for them to grow? Of course. He's going to address them in a lot of this letter. But he says, when I think about you, when I meditate on you, when I put my mind to you, I recall the good things God is doing in you. This is what he's saying he's seeing. And then these next two phrases, it's a little hard to see in our translation here, but verse 7, it says, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I um, feel this way all about you. And then notice there's that next word, that connecting word, because. And then look down um, at verse uh, 8, if I can find it in my translation. For God is my witness. I'm sorry, for you all are partakers, the, the middle of verse 7. 
Let me restart that in case that was confusing. <laughs> he says, verse 7, it's right for me to feel. Then there's a word, because I hold you, and for you all are partakers. Those are both the same words, and they're both explanatory phrases about his mindset towards them. The first one is, in a sense, an explanation, a further examination of how he thinks about them. And he says it like this, I have you. What way do I think about you? I have you in my heart. The word is to hold you in my heart. This is a word of affection, which is why the translators translate that earlier word instead of mindset, they translate it feel towards you because it's in the same ballpark and he's explaining it that way. This is how he thinks about them. Now, does this reflect your care for people in this church? This month, as we pray this for each other, this is actually part of how God builds this care for each other, is when you talk to God about each other like this, God nurtures love for others like this in your heart. Paul says, I've been talking to God about you like this, and now I think about you like this, and now my heart feels towards you like this. Why does he feel this way? Well, he gets specific again, verse 7. You all are fellow partakers. The second time he's used this phrase, but this time he attaches this little prefix that says, you with me, together, we went through this. And notice he says that he went through this in his imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. In other words, by Paul connecting himself to these Christians, he actually has connected himself to more help. Who, who was in prison? Were they in prison? Paul was in prison. But he doesn't say that. He says, you were with me in imprisonment. So often, one of the ways that Satan can so often destroy us spiritually is by separating us off from the others in this room, whether genuinely or merely in the way we reflect upon the trials and troubles we go through. I, only I, am facing this. Nobody else is facing this. But Paul says, God has so connected us that when I was in prison, you were there with me. You prayed for me. You were part of that. And do you know that you never face a trial alone? You really don't. If you're connected to Christ's body here, when you hurt, we hurt. When you go through those trials and troubles, you don't go through them alone. So often we have isolated ourselves, and even in our prayers, to where we're primarily praying to God about our individual needs only. We've siloed ourselves off from others. What Paul is doing is describing how his prayer life has influenced the way he faces life. And now when he faces this imprisonment, when he faces the defense and confirmation of the gospel, he never does it alone because they're there with him. This is, in a sense, a reminder to them and also a description of what God has done in Christ by connecting us. And notice that Paul doesn't say this reservoir of care comes from himself. himself. He says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This word affections is the seat of the emotions, the very heart itself. And Paul says that Jesus is, in a sense, completing his work in and through Paul. Because notice he doesn't say, I love you from my own reservoir of love. He doesn't say that. He says it like this in verse 8. God is my witness. I yearn for you all. It's a word for stretching out for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. In other words, he's saying this. God has worked his love in me so that it now extends back out to you. So far he's talked the other way, hasn't he? How their love, God's love through them has reached to Paul. Now he's talking the other way. God's done that in my heart too, he says. And this is actually what he's about to pray for in the future for them, that God would keep doing this in their heart more and more 
stacking it on top of love, on top of love, on top of love, so that they would come to their final finished form. I want you to think for a moment about the troubles that you may have faced yourself, like Paul reflects upon here. Who shared with you in those troubles? Oh, really, who has? I want you to look around this room. Who are the people who've shared with you? Can't you look around and say, you know what, these people, they mourned with me. They listened to me. They asked how I was doing. They provided for me financially. They, they showed up at my house when I needed them. They shoveled snow off my roof. <laughs> they really did. They were with me. Push back against the lies that Satan so often throws our way that we are all isolated chambers independently going together our own ways because that is not the way the Bible describes Christians. Instead, we're interwoven in Christ. If you're in Christ, then you're also connected to others. Christ is the meeting ground of peace is the way the book of Colossians puts it. How they shared in the gospel, the defense and the confirmation of the gospel with you. Well, they prayed with you at Upreach. They prayed for you at Upreach. They've talked about a challenging work situation with you. They've given you biblical counsel. They fellowshiped with you over the word, over what you're learning. This is what he's talking about. So reflect upon God's care of you through other people. Trace love back to its source. I remember several years ago, we, I was hiking in the Uintas with Ben and Opal Mack. They're on vacation right now, I think, in California. And I remember that it had been a very heavy snow year, and as we were walking on this trail, there were trees that had fallen all over the place, but some of them fell very conveniently over this river that we wanted to cross. It was probably only normally a trickle, but at this point of the season, it was pretty early on in the spring, and it was a, kind of a raging torrent. And we walked over those fallen trees to get to the other side and continue on our path. What Paul's doing is it's like as he crosses each of those intersections of God's goodness to him through other people, he's not just thanking God for what he sees there. He's actually tracing the water back up to the fountainhead. Every time someone shows kindness to him, every time he sees God's work in somebody, he doesn't just give them credit. He doesn't just say thank you. He actually traces it back all the way up to God himself and says, that comes from God. That comes from God. That comes from God. This is how God intends for us to take care from others, to trace it back to the source. I want us to look finally at God's future work, his prayer for God's future work, and here we'll be brief. Paul, first of all, prays for their love. Isn't that what he's just described? What does it look like when God has his work complete in you? It's this kind of love for each other. So he prays for their love, and he mentions words like this in verse 9, more and more. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is a wholehearted kind of love. He describes it as love that comes with intimate knowledge or understanding. He describes it as love for both God and for man. Because we might say, what kind of love is he looking for? And you can see how Paul hasn't been separating these two, has he? This love is for God, through God, to others. In other words, our prayer life, God intends our prayer life to actually connect us both to him and to each other. Not to isolate us in our chambers of prayer, in our closets of prayer. But instead, prayer is, as it were, the root system that connects all of us. 
This is what Paul is praying for, that their love would extend more and more with a genuine knowledge, the kind of knowledge that genuinely helps. And then Paul points to God's love in them. Verse 10 and 11 says it like this, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. This love, we could say it like this, this love perfected in us, God's work in us, it perfects us, it changes us, it completes us. That's that same word. It brings us to our final form. And the fruit that he talks about, it is this kind of love for each other. Jesus himself said, how is it that people will know that you're my disciples? It's, it's by your love for one another. This Christian love that needs nothing in return. This is a love that comes only through God, and so he uses it as the kind of the pinnacle expression of God's work in us. Finally, Paul praises God as the final outcome. This is his intention. Whether here in verse 10 or verse 6, the day he's looking to is the day of, of Jesus Christ. And he does this all, verse 11 tells us, to the glory and praise of God. That's the target. Now, if you're like me and you tend to mostly struggle looking at the negatives in life, these people didn't do this for me. That person didn't do this for me. Paul really is talking for a mind, mind shift in our own thinking. As we think about other people, we're instead looking not just to what we see now, but what God has done and what God will do. Verse 6 said, you will complete them. So I want you right now to envision others here. What will they look like in their final finished form? And that is what Paul is saying God will do in you. God, Paul, in a sense, is envisioning each of them completed by God. And he says, that's what I pray for God about you. I'd like us to just think briefly about a few applications for our prayers here. First of all, I'd encourage you this month to pray this passage over each other to nourish Christian love for each other. In other words, part of the reason, if we were to ask Paul, Paul, how is it that you got to where you felt this way about other Christians? Philippians is not a rare thing. In almost every letter, Paul talks about Christians like this. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, he says, I'm like a nursing mother to you. That's love that I'm not sure I would express to somebody. But that's how Paul talks about people. How is it that Paul, the, we, anybody can see the genius mind of Paul, who might be gifted towards academics, is not all head. No, instead, he's heart towards people. Paul, how did you get that way? I think Philippians 1 tells us that one of the answers he would give is this. I talk to God about the other people that I care for, and I rehearse God's work in them to God. God, you did this in them. I've seen you act like this in them. They bowed to your will that day. They provided this for me. God, that's from you. You're doing this in them. I see what you're up to, and I can just picture the final day when you'll be done. That's part of his answer to how he nurtured Christian love. And this is part of God's answer for us, too. If we're going to love each other, we have to be praying like this towards each other. Secondly, to observe God's work in each other. Observe it before God, but observe it as in tell each other, too. I've seen God at work in you. I remember one time I had the opportunity to point out to somebody, I won't 
get too specific because I think they're here. Something that I'd seen them do for other Christians. And I said, you know what? You're really gifted at that. And it was just a passing observation, but a couple months later they said, you know, when you said that to me, it's the first time I've ever thought about myself that way. But now I've started to step into that and use that more. That was an accidental statement I made to them. I wasn't trying to nurture anything in them, but by observing God's work in them, it actually encouraged God's work in them. It stirred up them to love and good works. Observe God's work in each other and pray to biblical ends. Pray to biblical ends. God, would you complete them all the way? Take them to the finish line. What would it look like if they always bowed to your will? If in the final day when they stood before you, work, toward, work that in them now. If you want a very practical way of doing this, here's what I would encourage you to do. We just finished with prayer partners for the last quarter. You can still talk to those people, by the way. You can even pray for them, all right? I know a lot of us are sad about giving up our prayer partners. Don't worry. You can keep praying. for. You'll have four by the end of the year. But what I'd encourage you to do is just take your prayer partner, whoever they were, and make a list this afternoon. Make a list of 20 things. I think that's a decent number, but maybe not too high, maybe. You might have to back that to 10 or bump it up to 30. Of 20 things that you've seen in these last three months that are true about them, that God's doing in them. Whether it's something they told you, something you've observed, something they've shared with you or cared for you with, just make a list and talk to God about those things. This afternoon, really, take that person before God and say, you know what, God, they talked to me about this. They encouraged me in this way. They provided this for me. They texted me this. Make a list. Here are the ways I've actually seen you at work in their hearts. And then tell them about it. All right, well, now they know if they're in here, all right? So your homework is that much more public. But really do that. Say, I, I prayed about you to God, and I'm just so thankful for the time we had. Here are some of the things I talked to you about, God. This is what Paul is encouraging. So as we pray this week, as we pray this month, each Monday, would we start to connect with each other in prayer? Would prayer be that root system that connects us all? That as we talk to God about each other, that God builds in our heart this finalized form of love, that love would abound more and more as prayer and our care for each other intertwined. In the end, this is God's work in and through us, and it's for His glory. I trust this has been an encouragement to you and a practical application of how we can use this this month as we pray for each other.